This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. This is Father Gregory Pond. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, or if you are going to enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like, subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Jacob Bertrand, Father Gregory, I, I was thinking we should say that welcome to God's Planning all together, the three of us kind of coming in after we've done our names. What do you think? No. <laughs> I'd say that we've shown ourselves to be incompetent when it comes to coordinating speech and movement. So the chances that we pull it off successfully are somewhere between zero and negative zero percent. But yes, I support it. Yep. Okay. I mean, maybe uh, that's all right. So, so that's two to one. We win. So that's next time. Um, because <laughs> sometimes maybe singing, you know, like why you sing the Our Father is so that everyone can unite. Because if you just say the Our Father together, there's different rhythms. But if we have the same things, we could develop. Uh, dear listeners or viewers, if you want to turn in a small chant uh, that could be pitched to this, and we could then that would focus us on how to say welcome to God, singing welcome to God's plan together. It would not be all corny. It's, it's six syllables. What are you talking? A chant? Get some melismas in there, right? Kind of, you know, get it. Ex we could have solemnity tones for it. Look, there's just a lot to say about it, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Advent. This is a special Lexio. This is Advent week three. Um, and I am your host, along with my co-hosts, Father Jacob Bertrand and Father Gregory. How are you all doing? <laughs> We're great. I'm great. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm doing great. Uh, there are great things happening here. Great people. Great yeah. experiences. It's um, it's great. It's great. I can't complain. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, any superlative for you, Father Gregory? Yeah, I'd say great. I'll pick up the great theme. Okay. I was just in the United States. I was just in America. What's the normal thing that people say? I was just home uh, for my brother's wedding. And so mm. I spent what seemed to me Ooh, like, out. I don't know, 12 days on an airplane. Uh, I flew through Reykjavik um, because of cost management techniques. Um, and uh, that's, mm. that's, mm -hmm. that's my way of saying because it was really cheap. Um, but the beneficial side effect of that was that I lived in an airplane for most of the past four days. And so now, yeah, I'm, I breathe the same air that Abraham Lincoln was breathing when he took that same flight in 1863. So, um, yeah, so I'm feeling the effects of that. But other than that, it was a great experience. Great is the word. Great, great, great. Yeah, you said. What, what airline did you fly? Through uh, Iceland Air. Yeah. Oh, do they? Have, I didn't realize they had like Iceland a nice air. business class yeah. in Iceland Air. That that's that's good for you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Imagine the diseases you would have caught if you weren't in business class. Um, all right. Yeah. You yeah, do sound gosh. kind of kind of like diseased and decrepit or something. Um, so both. Ends, if you have great. soup, great's the word. if you could send to Father Gregory. Yeah, that's right. Great is the word. So if you have, if you have soup um, that you could send to Father Gregory at yeah. uh, 123 should... Freeburg Ave, uh, yeah. Switzerland.com. I should. um I should correct you. I was I had a little cold the other week, and like multiple mm. people told me to drink bone broth, not soup. So send them a box of bone broth. Bone broth. All right. <laughs> it yeah, it comes in like it. those chicken stock boxes. I saw it in the store after I was better. Um, so for next time, yeah. Um, for next time, yeah. okay, that's great. So mm. um, we well we did a little shtick here, but I still feel like we need to do some kind of gig or some kind of gag. And since the three of us together, we were we did one of these lexios on Easter. And the gag or this opening thing was um, favorite thing in reach. Uh, and so I thought we'd do favorite thing in reach part two. Uh, 
Okay. Um, so I'll kick it off, and they've been prepared. They know this is going to happen, I think, so that they should be better better prepared this time. But part of the fun is the spontane- spontaneity of it. So I'm um, I'm going to grab, so I got this little guy here, and you think, oh, wow, look at that. That's uh, that's the Divine Mercy image. It's very small. You could fit in your mouth almost uh, if you had to like hide in a plane or something. Um, but if you look very closely... Let's get in there. Um, you, well, if you're listening to this, this isn't going to help you much. It's not even in frame. <laughs> it's getting there. No, no, because the bottom. So hold on. Pick it up. All right. Yes. Um, it's going to get it. So look just at that t- little thing down there. Why don't you just there. tell us? See that little, that, there's a little, yeah. looks like a little stream there, a little yarn above the uh, thing. And that is a second class relic of St. Faustina. So this was given to me by a sister of Our Lady of Mercy here at the National Shrine, and she was given a piece of the habit, one of the habits that St. Faustina wore, um, and she, the goodness of her heart, like cut it up to small, very small little pieces and made these second-class relics. And I, so I got a second-class relic of, of, I'm on my way to a first-class relic of St. Faustina um, because I've just had a third-class relic. Where's the one that Father Gregory gave me? There it is. Um, third-class relic there. Now I've got a second-class relic, and Father Jacob Bertrand is going to get me Maybe for Christmas, um, a first-class relic of Saint Faustina. So this is my favorite thing uh, within reach: is a second-class relic of Saint Faustina. Okay, Father Gregory, what do you got? Okay, so I was recently given uh, a relic by a Dominican sister of Saint Dominic. So it seems like it's relic showing. Uh, I feel like I should probably add more variety to this segment of the show rather than making it all about relics, so as to force Father Jacob Bertrand's hand. But I'm not going to. I will not be forced. Don't worry. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Fact. So we had a, a friend, a classmate uh, who was with us in the novitiate, discerned out, is happily married with children. And I was once given a first class relic from uh, the personal use of a friar who passed away when we were in the novitiate or the first year in the studentate. And uh, it bore the name that this gentleman took in religious life. So I sent it to him and he was like, awesome. That is sweet. Uh, and then his blood sister entered religious life uh, in mm-hmm. a community that's close to ours. And then she just gave me a first class relic of St. Dominic. So that's uh, some sweet relic economics right there. So wow. if you draw any Pay lesson it from forward. this. Pay it exactly, forward. Pay forward wow. the relic giving. So I'm, I'm very blessed to have this on my soundboard. So St. Dominic is interceding for all of our sound needs in God's blading. Um, He's going to have to get to work. <laughs> He's taking the day off. Can't change your face. That's not in his purview, but carry on. Goodness. Okay, my turn. So just so everybody knows, I have relics too. They're just not within reach, okay? So I, I don't, but what would I say? My favorite thing in reach, because I'm at my desk in my office, it's, it's, ooh, it's a pair. It's this Sharpie and this letter opener. And you might ask, why ooh. do they come together? Because I open all of the bills that we have to pay at the parish because we're price gouged on everything. And then I use this little <laughs> Sharpie to cross out all the things that we're not going to cut a check for. And people are just going to have to deal with it. And then I give it to my secretary to cut the checks for far less than what the bills are. I don't know if that's a legal thing, but no one sued us yet. So we're doing all right. Wow, that's great. And the the knife is also for eye gouging if necessary. So it's check and eye gouging. That's Mm -hmm. great. Wow. I don't know if that's proper accounting to like get an actual bill from somebody. I'm like, no, I'm not paying for that. Didn't ask for that. When they come Uh, and they do all, it's like when you take your car in and they're like, you need a thousand things done. But yeah. when people come to do work here, they don't check. They don't find you. They just come and do all the work they think they need to do. And then that they're going to charge you. And it's like, I didn't ask you to come to do that. So I'm not paying for it. It's kind of like, yeah, it's a contractual thing. That's it's fair enough. I, don't I think didn't sign anything. I didn't I don't sign think anything. So, yeah, I didn't think there's you know. necessarily any reason why you're going to get arrested after the people hear this episode. But yeah. Um, 
Okay, that's great. By the way, All I'd right. be happy to do accounting for and bill paying for other people. You know, just let me know. I'll take care of it. Whoa, careful there. Careful there. But uh, take them up on it. That's great. Um, so good. All right. So we are in the third week of Advent. That's great. Look, get, looking forward to Easter when we have uh, Favorite Things in Reach Part 3. If you want to add to this, you can send us things. And then if we'll have, maybe they'll be our Favorite Things in Reach. So just saying ahead of time. Like Bone Broth, for instance, <laughs> for Father Jacob Bertrand. Okay. So we're going to take this to the third week of Advent. As you know how we do this, um, and as I'll remind myself by speaking out loud, uh, we'll read, I'll read the collect, open up the prayer, and then we'll send it around to the different three of us reading and then make comments. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who see how your people faithfully await the feast of the Lord's Nativity, enable us, we pray, to attain the joys of so great a salvation, and to celebrate them always with solemn worship and glad rejoicing. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Father Gregory. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The desert and the parched land will exult. The steppe will rejoice and bloom. They will bloom with abundant flowers and rejoice with joyful song. The glory of Lebanon will be given to them, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the hands that are feeble, make firm the knees that are weak. Say to those whose hearts are frightened, be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication. With divine recompense, he comes to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared. Then will the lame leap like a stag, then the, the tongue of the mute will sing. Those whom the Lord has ransomed will return and enter Zion singing, crowned with everlasting joy. They will meet with joy and gladness, sorrow and mourning will flee. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we think about the Advent season and what it prepares us for, the, the Nativity, our Lord's Incarnation, of course, um, we can consider that under the sort of, I don't know, under through a lens of looking at what are like, what are the advent? What are the Christmas virtues? What is it? How is it that we're being shaped by our Lord's grace so as to receive well, to receive our Lord well? And I think often, at least when I consider the nativity and our Lord's birth, one of the virtues that that jumps out in imitation of our Lord and, and of the of the Holy Family is that of humility. Um the, the sort of humble reality of our Lord's entrance into in, into our world as as a man. Um, of course, I could rehearse the whole sort of nativity story and the humility surrounding that, and just the uh, the in the in the stable in the manger, et cetera, et cetera. We all know it well, so perhaps not as necessary. But um, paired with that, with the prophet Isaiah's reading, or, or I'll say this: that sometimes I think when we consider humility, we think of it as a sort of a meekness that is is sort of exaggerated, or a way by which we sort of, you know, beat ourselves up, or a way by which we kind of recede and hide into the background. And in some ways, those things can be true, but um, perhaps not the fullness of the virtues of the Christian life. And I think the prophet Isaiah, who prepares us, especially in the season of Advent, to receive Christ um, in His incarnation and in, in the Nativity, um, highlights some sort of partner virtues, some sort of virtues that accompany and shape the virtue of humility. Um, and that that here is particularly of, of strength and courage. Um, 
part of the reality of the incarnation is that that Christ comes so as to be, I don't know, readily accessible, so as to be close to us, so as to enter into the condition of our lives and, and share his life with us. And that we, we ought to take, especially in, in light of, our, of the graces we receive in our baptisms and our confirmations through the reception of Holy Communion, we ought to have the strength and, and the courage to approach him with every confidence that he desires to save us, to heal us, to transform us. Um, we don't have to sort of cow or is that cower? Cower? Is that a word? Uh, we don't have to cower at the, um, you know, when we kneel before our Lord, but we kneel in reverence, not necessarily of, of fear that he's going to to reprimand or, you know, condemn, but that he comes to offer mercy, um, that he comes to offer his life. So we ought to, I think Isaiah is preparing to, to is reminding us, you know, to, to be strengthened in that hope, to be strengthened in the coming of our Lord, to be prepared in that, and um, is, is a great way to help temper and balance the reality of humility. They, they go together, I think. Advent, of course, is the time that we ponder the two comings of Christ, and in fact, uh, the preface for each of the Masses for these weeks um, up to this point um, have been the two comings of Christ. Uh, the first coming of Christ at Christmas, of course, in the flesh incarnation. Uh, and the second coming is Christ at the end of the world in judgment, which Father Jacob Bertrand just spoke about, when all will be made right, tears dried and rejoicing over eternal justice will come. And while we rightly see these as two comings, they are separate events, of course, it's easy to forget that it is one coming one, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews says. So while the advents are different, and this is something that the Jews of the first century uh, seem to have missed, they thought they were only to be one, not two, the adventer, the one who comes at advent, is the same. It's something that the Jews, I think, understood, that the Messiah of both needs to be the same, despite missing the two comings. And this means that there's a greater similarity based in the person of the one who comes than in the dissimilarity based on any of the events, either of the comings, ideally, which is all very good, since it means that we can know about the second coming by knowing about the first. And this is what Advent is all about, it seems to me. In preparing for both comings, specifically, we are preparing for the second coming by meditating on, preparing for, reflecting about the first coming, such that the coming of God in the flesh, when we see the face of God, Jesus Christ, prepares us to see that very same face again, to not be terrified, but have the love and the faith in him and for him that he has given us in this first coming as we spend time in nativity by the manger, meditating on his love and his incarnation for us. So maybe just a, a short comment drawing on those previous two comments. So Father Jacob Burton, you spoke about the virtues which our Lord makes manifest in his coming. And Father Bonaventure connecting the first coming and the last coming. The reading from which we just heard speaks of vindication or revindication, sometimes described, um, which St. Thomas classes as a virtue, uh, which is a part of the virtue of justice. So in justice, you give to another what is his due. And vindication, what is due is the kind of comeuppance. Um, that uh, is due to wrongdoers. And I think that uh, we 
and anticipate, you know, like the, the people of Israel or the church and anticipating his first coming thought, you know, had different thoughts about what that comeuppance would be. And a lot of Jews of the first century expected that the Messiah would work to undermine their overlords or bring about a new kingdom that was independent and strong. And they were somewhat disappointed in the realization that that was not to be as they had imagined. But that disappointment, you know, if properly received or properly processed, opened a space for them to recognize and to receive who he in fact was and the vindication that he brought, which is to say that he liberated us from our slavery to sin and then ushered us into a new kingdom, which congregates uh, in the temple of his body. And so as we reflect on our, our disappointment and reorientation at his first coming, I think we have to do a simpler kind of exercise when it comes to his second coming. Because a lot of times we invest our our mundane hopes in a political kind of scheme or an election cycle or some kind of this worldly promise. And more often than not, we're disappointed. Uh, but rather than permit that disappointment to kind of mire us in the muck and dross of our failed hopes and dreams, it should reorient our gaze towards his second coming in which all will at last be made manifest and will congregate in his resurrected body uh, with our own resurrected bodies uh, in a way that will make known the truth uh, and that will set to rights all that has been, you know, permitted to befall us in this present evil age. So yeah, we look to him with a, with a renewed hope um, and with a reoriented gaze uh, at his second coming. Father Jacob Bertrand, the second reading, please. A reading from the letter of St. James. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient with it until it receives the earthly and the late rains, the early and the late rains. You too must be patient. Make your hearts firm, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, about one another, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing before the gates. Take as an example of hardship and patience, brothers and sisters, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How to prepare for the two comings of Christ, this Christmas and, of course, the second coming. What virtue is necessary? There are many that are important for this quest, but St. James gives a specific one, patience. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Patience, of course, is a passive virtue, you could say. Or rather, not the passive virtue, since virtues are powers of the soul that give us their, the inclinations to act in particular ways, to do something. And patience waiting is, in a weird way, a sort of action, as the wise virgins show us in waiting with their lamps trimmed and oil at hand. They were doing things to wait. Patience, then, is an intentional waiting, the stilling of the soul for something else. The patient one is directed to something, that's the active part, but that something remains to come. I can't bring it about. That's the passion, the patio, patience. And it is a virtue, an activity of the soul, as anyone knows today, given the ubiquitous presence of its opposite, impatience. We live in a world that cultivates impatience, the kind of jitteriness to things. And if we're not careful, we will train our souls to be unable to perform intentional acts of patience. Advent is a time then for retraining, reminding, respiriting, resouling toward Christ, learning and practicing again that virtue of patience, the attentive waiting for Christ's coming. 
the first remembered at Christmas and the second at the end of time. And all those one and a half comings in our own experiences of life where he is present and comes to us, but not always on our own time schedule. Nice. I like the reference to uh, one and a half. It reminds me of Lion King, one and a half Simba's pride, which was the unsung hero of that series. Um, when it comes to patience, this too draws together the comments that we made on the first reading and then our consideration of the present one, because Father Jacob Bertrand highlighted uh, this dimension of courage, you know, with which we have to confront the difficulties that lie between us and the end. And patience, as you highlighted, is an aspect of courage because the greater part of courage is endurance. Um, and when St. Thomas describes that, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, he breaks it into two pieces, which are patience and perseverance. And I think, you know, in the 21st century, we have to cultivate an openness to patience. Like you said, it's an impatient age, uh, and we see that at every turn. But the image that's used in the letter of James is the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. In the disposition of the farmer, there's a recognition that a lot of the factors that, you know, tend towards a good haul, a good crop, uh, are outside of his control. He can only do what he can do. And I think that there's a real temptation in the 21st century to try to place everything within our own control and what we've come to discover as a like, result of that um, what movement of the heart is that we're, we're bored and we're sad and we're anxious and we don't know what to do about it. So we have a variety of opportunities throughout the course of the day, whether we're stuck in traffic or whether a friend is late in keeping an appointment or whether we're struggling with some technological issue, like a random update that has changed the way that our phone behaves. Like we always, you know, we have many opportunities to be patient uh, with the unforeseen, with the unexpected, rather than like anesthetizing ourselves by some, what, multitasking or some optimization. So I think that this Advent season is a great opportunity to cultivate those, those penitential habits of mind and heart, which open us to these opportunities for patience so that we can become better at waiting on the Lord and recognizing him at his coming. Well, we didn't talk about, the three of us didn't talk about what we were specifically going to discuss for our comments on these readings, but in my notes in the margins here, I have patience and perseverance as well. So we're going to carry on with the same theme. <laughs> Not terribly original, but this is actually the, those two virtues of patience and perseverance are um, are often two virtues or two sort of dispositions that I that I counsel in the confessional with respect to our Christian life because they are indeed virtues that are that are in our Lord. Our Lord is patient. Our Lord perseveres in a whole host of ways and perfectly. But you know, we when we look at our life and how our lives and how it is you know, that we strive to live the good life, the true life, the beautiful life, how we strive to live as disciples of our Lord, we can often sort of look at um, the metric of perfection as the defining metric of whether or not I'm doing well, you know, if I try a little harder, if I work a bit more at this, if I, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, if I can make myself more perfect, then somehow I will, you know, be in a position for the Lord to love me more. But that's not really what we're called to, you know, the St. James today reminds us, of course, our Lord reminds us, the saints remind us that, that we're called to, to persevere, first and foremost, to continue to show up, to put ourselves in the presence of the Lord, and to be patient in the ways by which um, our Lord works in our lives, whether that's with respect to moving us from a temptation or a, a, some, a sin that, we, that we're given to, whether, wh whatever it might be, to be patient and persevere 
And I think that the the coming feast days and solemnities of Christmas and the Christmas season are, are a reminder just of that, that our Lord is patient with us. Our Lord calls us to be with him, to persevere with him, and not to be with him in necessarily sort of grandiose ways, but to be with him in his simplicity and his humility and to allow him who comes into our lives, who desires to share his life with us, to be God, to work in our lives and to draw us into himself. Father Bonaventure, would you read the, the Holy Gospel? Yes, I will. <laughs> A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of the Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good, the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there was... There has been none greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So returning to our recurring theme of patience and perseverance, I think one of the reasons for which we find it difficult to be patient and persevering is that we're often disappointed. So maybe you have a favorite sports team, and maybe they sometimes make a go of it in the playoffs, but then they come up short. Or maybe you're looking forward to the most recent season of a television show because you enjoyed the last one, but as is inevitably the case, it's not as good as what you remember the last one to be. So I think like a lot of the times when we exercise a mundane patience or a mundane perseverance, we're disappointed. Um, so when it comes to our anticipation of Christ's coming, we can import some of those disappointments and begin to brace ourselves for the disappointment that will inevitably come our way when it comes time to meet him in his glory, whether that be at our death or at a second coming, whichever comes first. But I think that there's a strange logic that's going on here with our mon mundane disappointments, uh, namely that they're supposed to train us, they're supposed to orient us to look to him with greater anticipation, uh, not because heaven is just a place of you know, gratification for all of the desires, which we have delayed to that point, but because there's a, there's a logic in our mundane hopes, which orients us towards a non mundane hope, which orients us to uh, uh, ultra mundane hope, which is to say to our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So our Lord permits us in this, in this time, in this present evil age to be restless, uh, to be unfulfilled so that we'll bring that restlessness so that we'll bring that fulfillment to him so that he can ultimately answer to it so we can hang our hearts on him who alone can bear the weight of all our anticipation so um we think of what saint augustine says in the confessions that our hearts are restless until they rest in god so i would say in this advent time 
bring those those disappointments before the Lord and ask him for the sense of them that ultimately he might fill them with his presence. Why doesn't Jesus answer with a yes or no when the disciples, these disciples are asking about whether they should expect someone else or whether it's him that's to come? What's with the cryptic response? Go and tell him what you've seen, X, Y, and Z, whatever the actions are. I think it's because faith is necessary. We're talking about patience, but faith is the other Advent virtue, I suppose hope too. The question would be different if the disciples asked, is two plus two equals four? And Jesus had said, go and tell him what you've seen here. That's because mathematics is not about faith, at least not in the sense of faith that matters here. If faith is the virtue of our souls, it's a power whereby we attain God in this life, not by sight, since we not only lack the power to see him, but because he does not frequently at least reveal himself to us. Rather, we grasp him and his revealed truths by, by faith. It involves us, even if it also involves him as a gift. Faith is our act of knowing him in this life, but it is also the gift to us that he gives through the Spirit, the same Christ, the same Spirit, I should say, of the coming one. This Advent we ask for and grow in the patience and practices of patience, but also in the practice of faith, of grasping him whom we do not see with our own bodily eyes, the cognitive virtue par excellence, in regard to him and his truths. We've been, I think, talking a good deal about sort of how to be with the Lord in the virtues, how to expect, how to approach, how to live well. One of the things that's important, too, in the spiritual life and in our in our life of faith, as Father Bonaventure was talking about in sort of the mundane disappointments of, of life, as Father Gregory was talking about, is I think the sort of overarching reality that um, is, is helpful is to is to take stock and, and sort of manage our expectations of, of what the Lord is coming to do and who the Lord is. Because this, and this is sort of precisely what our Lord is asking in the gospel. What did you go out to, to the desert to see? What, um, you know, did you see, go out to see people and find clothing? And it, it's a sort of question of what are you, really, what are you looking for? Um, you know, you ha- part, of, part of the reality of our Lord's grace and of his life is that he wants us to know him. He wants us to know who he is and what he's about. And that comes from spending time with him, from reading the sacred scriptures, from being, you know, invested in the saints, from being attentive in the liturgies, to come to know what our Lord is about. And at, at the end of it all, bottom line is that our Lord comes to save. Our Lord comes to free us from our sins and to invite us into his divine life. And if we begin to approach or continue to approach him in our lives in that way, then then the way that the Lord works, whether that's by drawing us more deeply, strengthening our faith, whether that's by um, being, you know, sort of present in the mundane disappointments of life, those things begin to take on meaning in themselves. And this is the whole point then of of the incarnation of our Lord coming into the midst of our of our very lives. Not that everything is is changed in in themselves. Not that our burdens are taken away. Not that the sort of routine of life is is automatically kind of mysterious and miraculous in every moment. But in those moments of life, our Lord is present so as to sanctify them, so as to use them um, to make us holy, to make us his saints, um, that he might be with us in all things. So management expectations doesn't mean a sort of like lowering the bar, but a sort of reorienting through the gift of faith, hope and love, um, you know, what it is that we, who it is that we are searching for.
I'll conclude with the solemn blessing. May the almighty and merciful God, by whose grace you have placed your faith in the first coming of his only begotten Son, and yearn for his coming again, sanctify you by the radiance of Christ's advent, and enrich you with his blessing. Amen. As you run the race of this present life, may he make you firm in faith, joyful in hope, and active in charity. Amen. So that, rejoicing now with devotion at the Redeemer's coming in the flesh, you may be endowed with the rich reward of eternal life when he comes again in majesty. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen.